As I prepared to write this sermon, I wrote the word transcendence down in my computer. I looked at it for a little while. I couldn't help but be struck trying to find a way out of the ironic situation I was in. I'm supposed to be talking about something which can't be talked about, supposed to be using words to describe something that words cannot describe. I I fell into the ultimate catch-22. What is even more amazing is that there is a large amount of people who had done this and did so successfully. The list is a little weak, though. I mean, only names like Jesus, Muhammad, Buddha, Socrates, Guru Nanak, Baha'u'llah, Rumi Gandhi, and a few other totally forgettable names. These people all experienced something, and they couldn't put it quite into words perfectly. They found that language failed them. Their drive, however, to share their experiences was incredibly strong. This meant that they attempted to defy all logic and continued their efforts to share with others what they experienced. Our Unitarian and Universalist forebears discussed something called the prophethood and priesthood of all believers. This is the belief that no one has a special line to God. No one has the only two-way walkie-talkie. Everyone, so this logic goes, can experience that awe and wonder directly. This is where we get our first source from. Quote, direct experience of that transcending mystery and wonder affirmed in all cultures, which moves us to a renewal of the spirit and an openness to the forces which create and uphold life. Notice there's that word again transcending. It's funny how often that word comes up in its own definitions. It's like when I have a young piano student trying to explain to me that the color of the marker is actually purple and I'm colorblind. And they end up saying something like, you know, it's like a reddish colored blue or bluish colored red. It looks like violet. You know what I mean, right? So, so I hate to disappoint you but I'm not going to try to describe the transcendent for you this morning. However, I am going to tell you how some people have come to know the transcendent, how they came to know it through experience, experience of that awe and wonder. Listen to the different definitions that Joseph Campbell gives for transcendence again. First, he describes it as to simply go past something. This is a pretty standard definition, nothing too complicated about it. But it does speak, but it doesn't get to that deeper feeling that's in our first source. It doesn't hit that same spot. It's the second definition that really gets me. That which is beyond all conceptualization. I feel like this is what many people who believe in God would use to describe God. There is something interesting lacking from this definition, though. There's no mention of God in it. There's no mention of ultimate being. Transcendence 
is not something that theists get to lay a claim of monopoly on. While they may claim a slice of it, agnostics, atheists, and people who just don't believe that God is important, they can certainly come to understand this as well. So how do all of these types of people, how do they all come to experience the transcendent? They all seem to come down to two things in no particular order, openness and practice. The UU minister, Dennis McCarty, is an atheist, and he wrote an entire blog post on atheists and transcendence. He starts his post with this quote, the finite human nervous system can only absorb about 10% of the information around us. The other 90% goes unprocessed, unseen, unheard, untasted, untouched, unfelt, and unimagined. McCarty eventually puts forth the idea that, quote, science, experience, and poetry are all ways to help us touch that 90% of reality that our nervous systems can't reach. Transcendence expresses the gift of exploring beyond the automatic, beyond what we think we already know. Reverend McCarty is calling us to a radical openness, which extends an invitation to us to hear, smell, taste, and imagine that which is beyond our capacities. Both Joseph Campbell and Reverend McCarty point to poetry in their writings. Poetry is a great way to connect with that which is beyond. Many of us here love both writing and reading poetry. Some of us may also love memorizing it. Poetry, when done right, should not be just a bunch of words on a page. Poetry should allow you to marvel at those words, yes. But with poetry, there needs to be something beyond the words. Something else needs to come with them. If you have ever read mystic poetry, there are tons of catch-22 moments. It was in poems that the great Sufis, the Islamic mystics, expressed themselves and their encounters with the transcendent. Attar wrote The Conference of the Birds, a massive poem which spans over 200 pages. Rumi's Mathnawi comes in several volumes, and each volume is over 200 pages. These poems were the mystics' attempts to preserve and pass down their encounters with the transcendent in all of its confusion and all of its catch-22s. Some of these poems even served as guides for others on the path to encountering the transcendent. According to Sufis, there are different valleys or mountains that we have to traverse in order to reach the transcendent. Attar has seven valleys in his Conference of the Birds. 
the valley of the quest, then love, understanding, independence, and detachment. The fifth is unity, then astonishment and bewilderment, and lastly, deprivation and death. Each of these valleys describe in poetic detail what Reverend McCarty was trying to discuss. These valleys ask the seeker to find that 90%, which is beyond. Attar says that if this is done right, the perception of what we miss can be overwhelming at first, just to say the least. In fact, he says it can be totally disorienting. He said it could be like being in a dream that is so vivid and real and wonderful that when you wake up from it, you realize that everything's just as vivid and wonderful and you can no longer tell if you're dreaming or awake. This ability is not special to certain people. It's available to all of us. In fact, I am certain that a good amount of us here have experienced something like this at some point in our lives. Maybe you were by an ocean or a lake or any body of water and you looked out and felt something. It could have been on a mountaintop or in a field. Maybe it was in a city. Perhaps it was the first time you held your child or at a funeral service or maybe even today here at church. This moment probably felt like it lasted forever and that it was over too quickly. It may feel like you remember everything and nothing all at the same time. That is an encounter with the transcendent. I believe that it is possible to trigger these feelings. Reverend McCarty hints to it when he makes it just sound so easy. Just pay attention to that other 90% that we're missing. But there is more to that simple sentence. From my experience, to seek contact with the transcendent is different from when the transcendent seeks contact with you. Reverend McCarty is totally correct, though. So how do we get to see that other 90%? How do we get to see that at a museum when looking at a painting? One of, the first, one of the first things we could do is stop trying to take a picture of it with our phone. We could stop looking up information about the artist with our iPads, or stop trying to find other paintings by this person, seeing if they look the same. Maybe we could even avoid reading the little blurb by the painting just for a little bit. Simply look at that painting and be in awe of the details. Recognize the brush strokes. Marvel at the colors chosen. Actively give your attention to nothing but those details. Actively paying attention to details is not easy. Our attention can be sucked away at a moment's notice sometimes by things which we think are even good for us. Sufis have been fighting this problem for centuries. It is written about quite often that a Sufi mystic would ask a follower 
to desecrate their prayer rug with wine. This prayer rug is used to do the five daily prayers, one of the five pillars of Islam. This is the rug upon which that Sufi will submit his or her will to the divine. This is also the same God that forbade alcohol and called it impure. So why would a Sufi be willing to desecrate that prayer rug with something impure? Because that prayer rug got in the way of that Sufi meeting the transcendent. If that prayer rug or those prayers become more important than what that uh, Sufi is trying to get to, then that prayer rug needs to be discarded so that way that Sufi can find God. So how do we interact with the world? What do we praise? Do we hold something in our way to meeting the transcendent? My phone is a wonderful thing, and it can bring me so much information all at once. I can learn about almost anything in a second. I can find out what type of tree is parked next to my car. I can read about its flowers. I can find pictures of it all across its natural habitat. I can look up the animals which live in those trees. I can read about them, see pictures of them, even memorize facts about them. But by doing this, am I engaging that other 90%? Am I actually looking at the tree? Do I see those details that I'm reading about? I need to put down my phone, put down my information, and just be in awe. I need to let myself see the tree, hear the wind, feel the warmth, and smell the fresh air. I simply need to be present to invite the encounter with the transcendent. So let us be more open to the world around us. Let us invite the transcendent into our lives. Let us find and experience that other 90%. Amen.